this this article that I read with um, what's your face, Mandy Moore. Oh yeah. It, it's kind of it's kind of dripping with subtext. Oh really? Wait, yeah. so this is what like U.S. Weekly or whatever? No, <laughs> or this us is Weekly? people. People. Wait, wait, it's us. Is it Us Weekly or U.S. Weekly? It's Us Weekly. It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> U.S. Weekly. That's like more of United a States Weekly. Yeah, United <laughs> States Weekly. <laughs> no, all the hot celebrity gossip. Yeah, it's us, and I don't really understand why it's us because it should be them weekly, right? Well, I think that it's, it's not like, us. The people that are reading the magazine and the people that the magazine is about is not a co- a, a collective of people. It should be them. Well, I think people know, want to feel like connected to it. You know what I mean? Kind of like uh, yeah. that well, was like, them, like, like oh, they're LCD. just like us. You know what I mean? Yeah, us be them over and over again. Nice. That was the country version of that. But- um, <laughs> country version the world has been longing for <laughs> but dude so, this is the funny thing about it so uh she's had a boyfriend for two years that she is getting engaged to 2017 oh. she got divorced in 2015 you do the math it's perfect right yeah wait so is is her fiance is he one of us or one of them is he famous he is famous he's uh taylor goldsmith the front man of the indie rock band dawes Dawes. Oh, from Dawes. Yeah. Oh shit. <laughs> she you has ever a get type. Into Dawes? Uh, kind of. Um, yeah, I liked that middle brother. That was like him and yeah. the deer tick guy and the the middle brother. I got else. into big time, and then I went back and listened to Dawes. There was also something else adjacent to Dawes that I listened to. I cannot remember. Uh, what we were listening to. Um, fuck. Uh, shovels and ropes. I got into them. Uh, head and the heart. I felt like it was all kind of adjacent. All like one word and then and like <laughs> shovels and ropes. Head and heart. One of yeah. those. Butcher and the builders. That was the band. Butchers and the builders. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, builders is it? Wait, no, it's builders and the butchers. Wait, we don't know at this point. We we very recently had this discussion. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the two. But listen to this. This is, this is like a chapo reading. Mandy Moore, who um, who spent the past several years struggling both at home and in her work, two years ago, she says, I found myself at a point in my life where I had this sort of uncanny ability to make myself small. You did? or Subtext. There's uh, that subtext. <laughs> yeah, as possible. Like I was a supporting character in my own life. So who was the main character? Hmm. I wonder. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then she has this light bulb epiphany moment, and she says, I hit this place where I was like, this is not working for me anymore. I need to regroup and figure out how to get my life back on track. So then she filed for divorce for Ryan Adams and uh, like almost immediately started dating this dude, but it was because, and this is a funny story, I took a picture of their album and posted it on Instagram. Instagram brings people to get out of there. It's like the new Twitter or um Tinder. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> Taylor saw it and sent me a note. That's how we met. Oh. And then we went on a date and the rest is history. Interesting. Now, it's interesting to me that she gravitated towards another musician in a, in a similar genre. 
Isn't it? Yeah. I, I feel like she's going to do better with the band guy, though. There's more of that camaraderie in a band where mm-hmm. for Ryan Adams, it's all about Ryan Adams. And she says, um, the couple cherish time at home. It takes a strong person just to be there. I get that, Mandy Moore. It's hard just to just to be there, you know, just be present there. Just in the be moment there. with your yeah. woman. Um, <laughs> men want to go, dude. We want to go get fucking high on heroin and eat lasagna. You know? <laughs> Can't be there for you, Mandy Moore. I like that. That's like a that's like an amalgamation of uh, of a callback there. <laughs> yeah, there's some sort <laughs> a of couple callback different in that. right <laughs> adjacent callbacks. <laughs> Oh my god. I feel like the only place that Ryan Adams is gaining weight is in his head. Have you noticed that? It oh just yeah, keeps he's got big bigger face. and bigger and bigger. Yeah, but... he suffers from big face. Like <laughs> yeah. it's like a Ray Liotta. Like by the time Ryan Dude, Ray Adams Liotta's got a big ass head now too. Yeah, he has big face. It's yeah. it's totally a condition. I've tried to think Robert De Niro had it for a while. I think he's slimmed down a bit, but Certain types of people like you just gain a lot of weight in their face. You just get it in your head. Mm-hmm. I thought at first you meant like his ego was growing, which I think is also true. But you act literally meant physically, yeah. No, I, yes, I meant physically. I think his ego is gaining physical weight in his brain. <laughs> and it, it's just expanding everything. <laughs> This is going to be a big pumpkin head soon. Oh, you like that? Ah, Halloween head. Bam. He is a Halloween head. (laughs) That's a good segue. Welcome to the Radio Cure. We're a show that looks at new albums and artists in and around the indie music landscape. I'm your host, Nathan Seal. And this week, Jeremy and I are talking about our second favorite Kurt and Courtney duo. A Lot of Sea Lice is the first album from Aussie rocker Courtney Barnett and Philly sad sack Kurt Vile. But first, we celebrate All Hallows Eve with the king of creepy Marilyn Manson and his new album Heaven Upside Down. That's next on the Radio Care. Jerry, happy Halloween. Ooh, very scary, Marilyn Manson. <laughs> happy Halloween, buddy. So, uh, do you have do you have plans? We were talking a little bit of before we got our Halloween head on. Yeah, <laughs> I do not. Julie is, as we speak, assembling her costume. And does she have a work thing? Um. Yeah, I think everyone dresses up at her work. Um. And well, wasn't that the, the famously she went as a as like a piece of meat or something? Oh well, she was. Uh, <laughs> she dressed as as the ham, which was. Scouts I know most Halloween girls go as pieces from... of meat for Halloween, but she <laughs> literally went as a piece of meat, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, she went as the ham, which was yeah. Scout's costume in um, what's that super famous movie slash book? Um, To Kill a Mockingbird. <laughs> yes okay yeah which was a scout's costume scout from to kill a mockingbird right yeah um which was a truly amazing costume it was like an exact replica the best thing about it i think was that she had to take it onto the subway with her and it was like <laughs> you, you know did she just wear it onto the subway or was she like sitting next to the ham you know like, this is my costume I think <laughs> I'll get confirmation from her, but I, th- I assume she carried it on. If she wore it on there, I, that would be even better, but I'm not sure. <laughs> we should put that on the Instagrams. I think people would like to see a giant ham. 
Yeah, it's a it's a great costume. A costume. I'll get the I'll get the picture from her. It's on her Instagram, but I'll I'll get it from her. We'll post it to ours. Judah, um, we we kind of we all fall in line with Sarah. Sarah is the one that decides the Halloween, and uh, Judah got this um, hook, uh, and he was kind of acting like a pirate for a little while. So she's like, "Oh, you'll be a pirate." She found this dress, this like prom dress from. Uh, well, not even a prom dress. It's probably some like seven, um, seventh graders like um, ball dress or something like that. But ball it was dress. like the tight. It was like the tiniest <laughs> dress. Like, <laughs> and and uh, she's gonna be. She wanted to be Tinkerbell, right? Because it was like mm. some sort of like sequiny prom dress from a little girl, though. That's the that's the important thing because it's like super short and it doesn't even. Um, a uh, button in the back, you know, because it's, oh. it's obviously of like a child. It's literally a child's dress. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been jo- I've been joking with her about how she's a sexy Tinkerbell for. Oh my uh, god, that's fantastic! <laughs> she sent me a picture of it, not wearing it though. I did. I had like no size context for it at all. No, it's gonna be sexy. Like, there's no way of getting around being sexy because well, it's I- just this tiny ass dress, and it's gonna be super tight on her. Well, I saw, I saw you in costume. You're a sexy Peter Pan. <laughs> it fits my personality. I'm the boy who never grew up. But <laughs> I don't really... What, what would a sexy ham uh, costume be? Maybe oh. Lady Gaga's meat suit from uh, a couple of years ago? Oh, yeah, that might be it. Yeah, sexy ham. I don't know. I don't know how you uh, pull Maybe you off. could be like a turkey leg because they kind of slim down at the bottom there. I don't know. Yeah, perhaps they can get like more revealing towards the bottom, but real bulky yeah. on top. How could you be a cured meat and still be sexy? This is our question. <laughs> yeah, it's a question for all of our listeners. If you have pictures of yourself as a sexy meat so this tiny. year, tweet it at us or hit us up on Instagram or whatever. Yeah, maybe a cocktail weenie because those are super small. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm a cocktail weenie. And the girl herself is the toothpick going through the cocktail weenie, right? And then you just have this like So wait, the appendage. So the like so like the woman would be like inside of Or man. Men can have sexy you... costumes too, thank you very much. I know, I already pointed out you were sexy Peter Pan. Yes, thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> you would wear I'm like one of those. I'm wrapping my brain around this cocktail weenie idea. You would wear one of those never nude suits, right? Um, and then you like would... jean shorts, like Tobias. <laughs> no, <laughs> like uh, like a leotard that is flesh colored. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. So you look like a toothpick, right? That's the color of a toothpick. Uh-huh. Uh huh. If you're sorry, if you're white. Flesh color is the color of a toothpick. Right. Um, but yes, that flesh color, that white flesh color. And um, then you'd be then, inside of a little... Yeah, and so, and then the the um, the hot dog would just go perpendicular around your waist. So you would be the toothpick piercing the gotcha. cocktail weenie. And then maybe you could do like something on the top of your head that looks like, because those... those uh, those toothpicks always have like that little thing on top. Oh, like the little the like little, colored cellophane. Yeah, that little colored cellophane. Okay, see, fanciness. you know what? I, they could I be was, wear it as a headdress. 
You know why I was having a hard time imagining this? For some fucking reason, I was imagining a toothpick stuck into a little hot dog, but like parallel with it, like lengthwise, which is not how you eat cocktail weenies. I don't know why. No, you stab them. They're in like a little crock pot, you know, in that sauce, that Swedish sauce. Well, I love that shit. I was just just imagining. There's like a little thin of the cocktail toothpicks, and you just stab them. Yeah, I don't know why I was imagining it like going in the end of the hot dog, like lengthwise. That's insane. Mm -hmm. I like that idea. Sexy cocktail weenie. That's what I want to be now. I want to be a sexy cocktail weenie toothpick girl. I guess you really wouldn't have to have a never nude suit if you just put the cocktail weenie like where your junk and butt is to cover. Like you just need cocktail weenie underwear, right? Are you saying like go naked but with with the junk covered? Yes, the cocktail weenie would be your pants, is what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> you just you just cut two holes in it mm-hmm. on the bottom and then one on the top, and it would be just like, you know, SpongeBob SquarePants. You just have that as your pants. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I like this. I this has got legs. I like this idea. Ideally, like maybe like like I would shave my head if I were to do this, right? Well, no, you could you could uh, color your hair blue. Oh, right, and that would the be the cellophane top. Maybe I, I guess I think maybe just a cellophane hat. I think maybe that's the way. I like this idea. You got to go for too. that, and you got to put it on the. The fans need to see that. Yeah, I'm going to talk to Julie about this. She she can make <laughs> anything, so this might happen. So, the reason. Um, we're talking about Halloween is because this should be coming out on Halloween. And we we had to do Marilyn Manson. It came out earlier yeah. this month, but um, it's such a callback. And he's the creepiest guy um, from our childhood. Yes. We've mentioned it briefly before, but I was terrified of him when I was little. <laughs> yeah, you were you were a bit younger when he came out. I, mm-hmm. I was more of in the, yeah, I'm going to fuck my parents you know my parents could be so pissed about this shit <laughs> right kind of mode you know yeah i was too little i was just like oh my god he's he's the devil he's scary <laughs> but here i i love this quote from uh pitchfork to get us into it on his uh 10th album marilyn manson embraces the tropes that made him a menace and a rock star and a stalwart of goth this is his turf and rather than expand it he seeks to defend it there's something quaint in retrospect, about how Marilyn Manson's early albums were once considered so dangerous they were blamed for the Columbine High School Massacre, as if one man smearing on eyeliner and screaming about the Antichrist could alone move a couple of teenagers to deadly (laughs) violence. Manson made for a convenient scapegoat in 1999. Given how sunny the rest of the country looked on the surface, he stood out like an infected sore on a CoverGirl model, embracing nihilism, and evil, cutting himself on stage, baiting transphobes with his drag performance as effortlessly as he baited Christians with his purported cahoots with the devil. (laughs) In 2017, however, the open horror of the world easily eclipses anything Manson's recorded in years. Whatever value his music still holds derives from what you remember of him and how sweet the memory of your thrill or disgust now reigns. Yeah, I was the whole time listening to this album I was pondering as like why why do like 
shock rockers as they like called him and mm-hmm. like Alice Cooper and people like that. That doesn't really exist anymore. I guess it is because I don't everything is reality is shock itself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the answer I was looking for. I was thinking about that. Yeah, well, and you know, I mean, if you want shock, go look at porn. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Sure. <laughs> there's there's plenty of places to get your shock. Now we kind of come to um, music as comfort, but this is almost nostalgia for me. It, I I almost had kind of um, a grin on my face when when all of the you know the bad and scary things were happening in, in the songs. You know, and I was like, yeah, I did I remember too. That <laughs> yeah, I like I I enjoyed listening to this. Um, maybe not like a normally would enjoy music but like the he does some like really funny things with song titles i don't know if they're supposed to be funny but like say 10 like s-a-y number 10 (laughs) yeah (laughs) like that i I, like chuckled i enjoyed it maybe i don't know if that's i enjoyed it on the level that he's intending but i thought it was fun it made me laugh a little yeah you say god i say say 10 yeah, like what does that One mean? Of the lines. I mean, that, you have to laugh at that. There's no way that he said that seriously. I mean, his whole thing is a show now, and it's now yeah. it's a it's a show of nostalgia, and well, it had it, just like a different place. I mean, Dork. That, that's the funny thing about Marilyn Manson. The people that listened to him were not these crazy people. They were dorks. They were people that got picked on. They were yeah, the, they were, the yeah, ones exactly. that got total dorks. You know, bullied. Yeah. It was just the way to kind of let off steam after, because you know you couldn't do anything at school to the people that were tormenting you, you know? Right. And so you had this feeling of escapism through his his rock. Yeah. And, I mean, there's, there is some stuff on this album that I, I did, like, genuinely enjoy as a music fan. There's some fun stuff. Oh, absolutely. I mean, um... No, oh, here the, he says it about say ten. Um, I I I got all fucking twisted up with. Uh, I I read like three different um, reviews for all the 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 other band that we're doing too, and mm-hmm. I just I, so I don't know who wrote this, but I'll I'll put all the reviews in the <laughs> the links. I think it was Pitchfork, but um, after all, the only reason anyone ever panicked about this guy is that he had a good enough grasp on pop to sneak his satanic earworms into the brains of the youth. No one would have cared if he couldn't write hooks. And hooks he still got, dressed up as ever like a Babadook at a wine party. Yeah, no, it is. It is catchy, and I th- we. I don't remember why the fuck we were talking about Marilyn Manson before on a previous episode, but like Antichrist Superstar, like that's legitimately like really good, and I think Absolutely. even like Marilyn Manson devotees, 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 devote. You know what I'm trying to say. Uh huh. I feel like they. We'll keep it classy. Like we'll say devotees. Devotees. <laughs> Uh, feel like he had like fallen off for a while, but from what little I've read about this, people kind of feel like he's he's back in some sense. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah. yeah the the one the 
the couple albums I read, this did seem that like like I said in in the um the first quote that he was defending his turf rather than expanding it. That this was mm-hmm. a callback to what he's best at and saying, no, 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 I'm still the best at this. You know, and there's yeah. there's some posers now. I mean, I, even I think that like Imagine Dragons kind of. Uh, oh. owe their sound, even though they're kind of mm. this optimism and positivity, they they owe their sound to Marilyn Manson as well. Yeah, that's interesting. And I noticed, like in the uh, that "Kill for Me" track um, mm-hmm. that you thanks me about earlier, it does have yeah. like a certain like danciness to it, um, kind of like uh, some of the more dancey like Nine Inch Nails tracks. It's still like dark and shit, but kind of got a little danceable groove to it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean. Uh, what I wrote, it's just a great pop hook right off the bat Mm -hmm. Um, over on one of those kind of thumping bass lines. Yeah. And then, and then the chorus comes in with a sin. Would you kill, kill, kill for me? You won't be kissing me unless you kill for me. I mean, it's so silly, but it's such a great line. And I, I found myself singing along with the chorus. I mean, it's just perfect pop goth. Like a very like accessible maybe like groove to it. <laughs> like, yeah, you almost absolutely. think with, without like the content of the lyrics, it, could, it musically could potentially be like a radio hit maybe. Yeah, I don't understand why. I don't understand how he hasn't like um, collaborated with anybody. Can you imagine if? Taylor Swift, she wanted to do this like mean album and she came out with this, look what you made me do. And it's this piece of shit. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, getting a call. Yeah. Hold on just a second. <laughs> I meant to turn that shit off earlier. It's actually an alarm. Oh, sorry about but- that. Everyone. We're definitely keeping that. In. <laughs> um, but Taylor Swift could have done this like real gritty, aggressive thing and had Marilyn Manson uh, like collaborate. Oh my God. Can you imagine if yeah. you change the lyrics a little bit to this song, you turn it into a Taylor Swift song. I'm pissed about all the shit that's going on. This is a fucking rocking song. I'm immediately sold on this idea. I want a Marilyn Manson Taylor Swift collaboration right now. It's beautiful. I, he could he could really fit in with a lot of different, I feel like, kinds of people that would, would want... I mean, even St. Vincent. I mean, th- this this yeah. newest album we were talking about has that kind of industrial feel to it. Mm-hmm. I know that she's probably a little too highfalutin for Marilyn Manson, but I, I think they could make a great song together, too. The yeah, way that absolutely. She shreds, too. He could just write the oh, hook, yeah. and she could just shred on it. Yeah, I would totally listen to that enthusiastically. Yeah, I'm super excited. I, I just I forgot about him, and I know that nine the nine inch nails guy uh, Trent Reznor kind of went into producing. I, I just don't really um, understand why Marilyn and maybe Marilyn Manson has had some like failed producing roles, but I, I think he could be a really great pop producer. 
Yeah, he's he definitely is like shown the sensibilities for it. Um, yeah, I don't know if he has or not. I certainly haven't heard of it if he has. Yeah, I, I, I mean, there's just kind of a lot of really great songs in here. Say 10 was one of the ones that I wanted to talk about. We already talked about that. I mean, it just, it is kind of an earworm. It just has that mm-hmm. kind of great feeling to it. Tattooed in Reverse is classic industrial metal and it just has the catchiest fucking chorus i mean so fuck your bible and your babble made a song into a dirty bomb i mean that would be like that would have been so controversial i know me to like own this something that said that you know what i mean my mother would be in tears if i was a kid you know yeah and now it kind of comes off as nostalgia for (laughs) that time when you could really piss your parents off Mm -hmm. and, and literally, I mean, we were, we were both about the same kind of kid in high school where, I mean, this would have been the biggest rebellion that I was doing at the the time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I didn't Uh, do anything bad in high school. Yeah. And so (laughs) it was like, Oh yeah. I listened to look at this music, you know, and I was innocuous. I was completely. Totally. Yeah. I think the worst thing I did in high school was listen to Eminem. Biscuit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Offspring and yeah, you know, some of the people for me. It was, it was like ooh, and uh, it it was. It was just this time where there was like this this conservative um, push to really um, kind of rid <laughs> all of the bad content from society. I remember when um, Scorsese's. Uh, what was the movie with uh, William Defoe as the? Oh, the Last Temptation of Christ. There you go, the Last Temptation of Christ. Oh my goodness, there was like a boycott on, and there, you know, there was just this alternate facts and mm-hmm. don't go in that. That's evil and everything like that. And right. just, I mean, there was just such a hair trigger for anything that was against that. And now to see our society as kind of this open, I mean, this is almost like a parody of itself. Right. In 2017. Well, and do you think that this whole thing that like Marilyn Manson is doing, does, does this like transcend nostalgia at all? Or is, or is really the only place for this in like a nostalgic thing? Like, is there room for like a new person to come in and do something that's going to like frighten children and the parents of children or is that time just over now do you think i mean i the first thing i would do is show them lars von trier's antichrist because oh, that God. scared me as an adult i know we went to see that in the theater <laughs> Marilyn Manson's antichrist scared me as a kid you want to see a real antichrist go to that. what is is woman the antichrist in that movie it is so fucking confusing it's like i think it, it's man, i think I it's more about know. like nature and women's nature, the connection and then, with nature. I don't know. And woman, and there was, and Willem Dafoe's got a huge cock. Supposedly, that's like the real one. And no, they said that, that they was used confusing. a stunt. They, they said that they used a stunt dick because his dick was too big. That's what I read. How do you shrink somebody's dick down with a stunt stunt dick? Do you just you tuck it back and then put the stunt dick in? I think so. Or maybe like a CG. A, I don't know. Because I, I always figured if you get like a stunt dick and it's bigger than your dick, it's just like a, it's like a sheath, right? It just fits right <laughs> over your dick. Yeah. <laughs> that makes Where, sense, right? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would make sense. No, but that's what I heard. But if your dick is bigger dick than is the stunt big. dick, how how does that work? You must have to tug it back. Or CG. But I'm assuming in that scenario, CGI. I don't think there's it's a CGI, CGI dick. I hope so. It was in a fucking bear trap. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yeah, spoiler really alert for Antichrist. It was like an, an armored dick sheath. An armored dick sheath. <laughs> oh <laughs> uh, somebody explain that movie to me on twitter if you've seen it and understand it please dm me about that yeah that was one of those things i was like i was glad i saw it because it seemed like very interesting to me but I, fuck i would never want to watch that again no but i i agree i mean it's almost like shock theater is a little out of taste um right uh you know where we know where you fucking live i love that it's got that distorted screamo chorus that is so typical of um early Marilyn manson and then it's got this line i love the sound of shells hitting the ground and I understand that this is all just a, a big show and act, but is that a little insensitive in, in the wake of Las Vegas with the bump stock and the, you know, however many rounds and a minute that was happening at, you know, that's the kind of, that's what I thought of when I, when I heard, I love the shells hitting the ground. And so, yeah, yeah it, is it almost in bad taste now? Because what's actually happening in the world is, is the shock theater. Yeah, possibly. That might be why people don't really do it anymore. But um, what Things I thought about when so I what I thought wrong, about when I heard you know that I mean? line is almost it's like almost like ironically accepting the fact that so many people blamed him for Columbine. Oh yeah, that's a great. Um, I mean, that's like a you're giving him a lot of credit there. Like you're, sure. you're, you're saying, and I, I think a lot of credit is due. I think that he is, is a really good artist. Yeah. And by all accounts, and I think he's, like he's a very thoughtful. intelligent person. Very thoughtful. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a great understanding of, of that is that, um, we know where you fucking live. There's this idea that I am the, I'm the person in everybody's ear you know, you can't get away mm-hmm. from me. My, I'm, I'm in your house. I'm in your basements, where your teenagers are listening to me. Yeah, kind of a thing. And it's just like, well, if you're gonna blame me anyway, I'm gonna own it. Now, whether or not that's like valuable in any way, I don't know. But that is how I took it. No, it, it's almost laughable to think of video games or Marilyn Manson being responsible for something. Oh, like of that course, now. of course, it is. It's so silly because, I mean, if video games and Marilyn Manson were responsible for it, you would think there would be this wave of it, right? Mm -hmm. But it's still just these outsiders, these, um, you know, mentally disturbed people that were seeking out anything that they could kind of use to bolster their ideas and you know this just gets caught up in the it's it's in the person not in the music i guess right yeah but yeah get this fucking blaring at your uh halloween party oh for sure 
it's a lot of fun for like many different reasons for me. <laughs> Some of them like unintentional comedy purposes, but that's fine. <laughs> no, it was it was good nostalgia and it was a good reminder uh what I used to think was horrible and now what right. I have a wider perspective on. <laughs> yeah. All right, Halloween head, should we take a break and then uh get on to uh, Kurt and Courtney. Let's do it. I got a tinkle. Okay, so uh, let's get back into uh, Courtney and Kurt here. I have a... Uh, a beginning quote for these guys too. I'll read that. Uh, in a year fraught with emotional intensity and existential drama, the lighthearted lot of sea lice, the new collaborative album from uh, Courtney Barnett and Kurt Vile is a welcome change of pace rooted in the artist's mutual admiration. The album finds the Aussie Barnett and the American Vile celebrating one another in a way that highlights increasingly revealed common ground. What began as an idea for a split single evolved into a full length, and that evolution is on display on Lot of Sea Lice. The duo's piecemeal approach to recording, eight days in a studio over almost 15 months, is heard in the uneven final product. But what the album lacks in structural consistency, it repays in undeniable chemistry. Lot of Sea Life a lot of sea lice. <laughs> a lot of sea lice finds Barnett and Vile making it up as they go to vital results. The album's meandering, low-stakes approach to projects, the artist's comfort with and confidence in each other, illuminates their process and hints at greater possibilities. Blech. Nicely done. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> And a fucking mouthful of sea lice, I feel like. <laughs> Gross. What are sea lice, by the way? Have you looked into that at all? I actually got a couple of um, alternate Google responses, and there's some sort of thing that fish get, and they oh. kind of eat on there. They're like parasitic kind of things that latch onto um, the scales of fish. Well, that's I actually gross. Saw, I know. I actually saw this um, net that was supposed to be a mechanical sea lice remover for fish. And the net was um, kind of elasticy, mm. And so the fish went into one of the holes of the net, but instead of getting caught, it, it expanded to let the fish go through, but it was like scraping on the sides Ew. of its body so they could get the lice off. Well, that's disgusting. And watch the little fun. video. It's fun. There's a little, there's a little <laughs> diversion from my uh, research. Well, I mean, it was related. I, I, I asked you. I meant, I meant to Google this myself. I probably would have seen the same thing. Um, but I like that it's named that now, knowing how disgusting it is, because this is the opposite of disgusting. This is just so fucking pleasant. This album is so pleasant. Right, it's like so warm and absolutely just it's, it's so nice. Unassuming, it's just kind of like a walk in the park, you know. 
yeah, it's really lovely. Really lovely. I feel like this kind of thing happens more back in the day, you know, where people just kind of got together and mm-hmm. maybe they did a few um kind of old registers and they made a few new songs and they put an album together and it was nice. It was nice. Yeah, this is nice. This is exactly what it is. Like it's such a pleasant experience listening to this. And I love both of them. Are you were you I know you've like listened to both of them quite a bit. Were you like big fans of either of them? No, I wouldn't say big fans. I would definitely say that I, I like Barnett more than I like Vile. I do um, too. I do too. Just because there's, I, I don't know. I think there's a lot of Kurt Viles out there that people right. can latch on to, you know? If she does uh, seem a little more unique to me. To me, yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, at least in, in my listening habit, she was unique. Yes, yeah. But a couple of things I wanted to get into before we talked about the songs was, uh, first, it's not a romantic duo. and No, um, which is fun. And a lot of times, even though they're not romantically involved, a male-female kind of duet ends up kind of playing on that sexual tension between man and woman, often. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this is from Pitch. Unlike most He Sheds... He said, she said, pairings. There's no romantic role play here. No cheeky entendres. No faux frisian milked for dramatic tension. No song that's even going to replace Islands in the Stream or Stop Dragging My Heart Around on hipster karaoke bar playlists. Instead, (laughs) retreated to an intimate fly-on-the-wall perspective of two peers talking shop about their songwriting methods. That's what I love about it. There's this co-equality of artistry with them. They're, they're two friends that love a, a particular craft, a, the same thing. Yeah, that's... I wish that review hadn't said that. That was going to be like my main thing <laughs> I was going to bring up is it's, these songs seem like they're almost like bouncing ideas off of each other within songs. Yeah, absolutely. It it, just, it 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 feels like that long distance relationship that you have with an old friend, where maybe you have like this uh, constant text uh, mm-hmm. stream, you know. And so, it it's divided by geography and it's divided by time, yet you are able to kind of banter back and forth as old friends in these mm-hmm. like tiny little moments in between whatever you're doing in your life. And that's what it feels like to me, you know, um, we'll get into it more in the songs, but it does. It feels like both of these people are on tour and they're having similar experiences and they're kind of just like randomly texting each other. Like Jesus, this was fucking crazy. And you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. They're like, maybe it takes a couple of days to get back to him, but then it's like, Oh yeah, I just had that similar, you know, problem in uh, Des Moines or something, you know, like, right. Uh, yeah, and there's just kind of this back and forth, but there's this kind of distance to it, but intimacy, mm-hmm. if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, and like I was so excited when I first read that they were collaborating because it, it, it does like make a lot of sense stylistically between the two of them because, I mean, they're yes. not like the same. And like she's like more like bombastic, I guess, than him. And she's got those like mm-hmm. real like ultra like witty lyrics and he's more like the laid back like 
Uh, yeah, he's sloth-like. He's so slow. Yeah. Almost kind of sounds like early... <laughs> but it's still... Um, make... Wilco, Jeff Tweedy. Yeah, but it still like, made so much sense to me when I heard that they were working together. Absolutely, yeah. And And sometimes I feel like that when you have two people that are too similar... That they don't actually, you know, opposite to track kind of a thing. You know, mm-hmm. if you have a little space between what you're doing, it actually sounds better. But in right. this case, I, I do feel like, you know, they're kissing cousins almost and the mm-hmm. stylistically, where it does kind of work, even though it's very, very uh, similar. And no super child, Barnett is married. To a oh, woman. she is. I didn't know that. Oh, so <laughs> I was hoping to read a, a People magazine story about them getting together. <laughs> oh well, yeah, they went out on tour and uh, yeah, fell in love. Like that would be that would like warm my yeah. heart. Like I, I just I like aesthetically like love these two together. I know whether it's it romantically good. or making music together. Either way, but so despite their chemistry being platonic. And uh, them having this kind of artistry uh, connection. The other thing I wanted to talk about was um, the fact that they're not all originals. And what you thought of Barnett taking one of his songs and um, Avile taking one of her songs and kind of reinterpreting it. Wait, which, which one is this? Um, what do you mean? Wait, what is your question? Which song? <laughs> yeah. The, que- <laughs> the question is, what do you think of them taking each other's... I, I guess I should start with that. On this album, they're not all originals. Um, there are covers, and two right. of the covers, one is Barnett featuring on one of Vile's songs, and Vile basically taking the helm on one of Barnett's songs. Oh, I really like the concept and I think it works out well. And I like that they're kind of like playing with this idea that they're like interchangeable with the album cover because like her (laughs) name is over hit like the album cover. If anyone hasn't seen it yet, is the two of them like sitting next to each other on stools with like opposite guitars. Yeah. 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 Um, And then then the video for her name is above uh, him and his name is above her. I think it's it's fun. They're like playing with this idea that like they're interchangeable. They're like one thing. So it makes sense to me aesthetically that they're like she's doing one of his songs and vice versa. Exactly. And and the the thing I was gonna add is that on the video for the single, she is mouthing his words and he yes. is mouthing. <laughs> yeah, which uh, I really enjoyed. So, kind of it, it, yeah, it's fun. It's a fun little interpretation of the album cover itself. But yeah, she does um peeping tomboy i had not heard that i had not heard vile's um version of that Mm -hmm. and uh he does out of the woodwork Um, yes and they they both kind of like re-envision those i i like that idea i do too I, i like i like um i mean i could almost probably hear a whole album of that yeah, me too. I'm I'm glad it's on this like collaborative album with originals. I think it works really idea with the with the whole like grand scheme of what they're doing. But it almost that seems like something that people do is like 
a novelty like single, right? But I love that it's in the context yeah. of an album. But what if like Frank Ocean and Radiohead did ten songs and Frank Ocean took five of Radiohead songs and reimagined them and Radiohead took five of Frank Ocean songs and reimagined them? You'd listen to that shit. Oh, I <laughs> I would be thrilled. I would listen to that as soon as it came out. Absolutely. So just as a thing, two yeah, artists taking thing, each other's yeah. songs. I, I would love that. It's kind of like a black and white cookie. <laughs> it always comes back to Seinfeld references. Look to the cookie, Jerry. Look, Look to the cookie. Look to the cookie. <laughs> Your side's not getting along? <laughs> um. So let's get into the songs. There's uh, three that we're going to talk about. I feel like Over Everything and Continental Breakfast are kind of the hits off the yeah the album um but i agree with you i think fear is like a forest is the best song on the the record yeah it's yeah i really like it it uh it sounds more like courtney barnett than kurt vile if you want to separate the two i'd say Mm -hmm. she's got that like real like 70s guitar heavy Sounds like the guitar, especially right in the beginning there, reminds me a lot of like Tom Petty. Yeah. He's definitely on the mind. I, I said this could be like Patty Smith and Neil Young. Mm, um, yeah, definitely. I, I I totally would get that. And uh both the reviews I read referenced um Crazy Horse in mm. their interpretation of Fear is like a forest. Supposedly Fear is like a forest was written by um Burnett's wife, Jen Cloher. I'm gonna go with Clo <laughs> Cloher. Cloher. I don't know what how you would pronounce that in Aussie. Nah, eh, Google um, it. <laughs> Not you, anyone listening. Yeah, no, I obviously didn't Google it because I'm flipping <laughs> and flopping here like a bass in a sea lice net. <laughs> nice. Uh, so this is actually a cover of sorts, but it's a, kind of an obscure cover, probably that uh, a lot of people don't know. But it, it does have this uh, crazy horse feel to it. That's why I kind of uh, kind of acid folk. Yeah, yeah. But I like that. It's just a, such a great classic sound. It's very bluesy guitar. Mm-hmm. Riffy throughout and a great solo, uh, no doubt by Burnett, probably right. Yeah, yeah, she fucking shreds. Anything else you want to say about that one? No. Okay. <laughs> I like it a lot. It's my favorite song on the album. <laughs> I was just clarifying before I moved on. Thank you. I appreciate um, that. Okay, so maybe we talk about the other two here. They're a little out of. Um, order uh we talked about fears like a forest first but actually over everything is the the first track and i'm assuming the single that they had planned to release that then perpetuated this entire album when i'm all alone on my own by my lonesome and there ain't a single another soul around i want to dig into my guitar Yeah, I would assume so. And we we both heard this like a while ago, right? That like they released this pretty far in advance of the release of the album. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it sounds like the song itself is high. That's what I would say. It just has this <laughs> breezy sway to it. It's like a lazy, meandering conversation that you would have with a friend on a front porch or something. Where totally. you're switching topics and kind of letting it flow, coming back to things, allowing for like a little bit of a break where you're just meditate, you know, looking at the road and stuff. And then you come back to talking and there's no real pressure. You're just kind of being there together. Yeah. Which I feel is awesome. Especially it almost feels like a contrast to the music, which kind of like swells and builds in a pretty big way that you wouldn't really expect from like the structure of the song, but it's mm -hmm. so cool. It like builds to a pretty big place musically. No, it does. It, it has a nice progression through through the song, but their their vocals kind of continue to be that real lethargic, subdued kind of mm -hmm. a sound that you would I would I would more associate with Vile than with yes. Barnett. But it's like when I'm alone on my own by my lonesome, <laughs> there ain't a single another soul around. Um, <laughs> And, and he's kind of talking about his process where I just want to dig into my guitar, bend a bluesy riff that hangs yeah. over everything. That's a great yeah. line. Yeah. And that's like what I said earlier was like this record seems like the like the songs seem like they're like bouncing ideas off of each other, I think is maybe most present in this song. Talking about their process. Yeah, they're absolutely. Yeah. Talking about their process for sure. It's super fun, and it just kind of sets the tone for the entire album that that yes. this isn't going to be this "I love you, I love you" yeah <laughs> kind of a thing. This is going to be like <laughs> "I love music, I love music" kind of a yeah. Thing. We're both really good. Let's discuss. <laughs> yeah, it's so much more fitting for 2017 than this kind of you know rain of fire. Uh, Johnny Cash, June Cash kind of collaboration. Yeah, totally, totally. So, uh, Continental Breakfast, that's the last one that I wanted to talk about. And it, it has this kind of meandering sense to it, too, but it's much more folksy. Dylan-esque yes. narrative to it, too. It, it has this mm -hmm. very long kind of narrative of being on the road and keeping up with friends. It has this plucky guitar and a snare drum. It pretty much sets the tone for the higher, for the entire thing. And like I said about the the front porch conversation, it lingers like a long distance call. You won't believe what I could have told you, but I don't believe I have the balls to let you know. I can say that because I'm a man. You ever had those calls where uh, maybe you're in a different country or you're. Um, significant other is on a business trip or something like that. And you call in the evening and you kind of have a few things to talk about and the phone goes dead for a little while. And then you talk again, you, mm -hmm. neither of you are really ready to like be done with the conversation, but yet you don't have anything to talk about either. Yeah. That's, that's a good take on it. I like that. And I like, so it's got like, some of the lyrics like are just like so Courtney Barnett too. Like talking about being with like international or intercontinental friends uh -huh. talking over continental breakfast. Like that's that's, that's a great just, little that's so flip. her. Yeah. yeah. 
in a hotel in East Bumble, wherever. I love that. East Bumble, wherever. That's kind of like uh, maybe the Aussie BFE. That's what I was assuming, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, That's East exactly Bubble. That must that. be right next to butt-fucking Egypt. That's got to be <laughs> just kind of like right around the corner. <laughs> exactly. They're, they're neighbors, Bumble and butt-fucking Egypt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I like that because it all kind of flows together, right? I mean, one hotel is just like the other. And it's not really like you're traveling the world. It's that you're going from one hotel to the next, and it has this different kind of like tenor to it than traveling the world. Everyone's like, "Oh, you're traveling the world. You're in Spain this day, and um, right, Qatar the next day." And well, no, I'm just in a Spanish it, hotel. And exactly. Yeah. A Qatar hotel. And yeah, it's a really fun perspective on it. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, I love me a continental breakfast. Ooh, me too. I was thinking about this. I. It's been a long time since they had a continental breakfast, but I would always look forward to it, staying in hotels that offered them. It's always, like, so simple, but, like, so satisfied. Yeah, I, it it doesn't weigh you down because it has all the, like, yeah. the sugar from the fruits and things like that. You maybe have a bagel with a schmear on it or something. Mm-hmm. It's a nice spread. If you ever have people over late at night and they stay the, they stay the night and you wake up, Put out a spread. Put out a continental breakfast. Oh, shit. So yeah. Easy. You Offer know? a continental melons. breakfast within your home. Yeah. Balsam melons. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I, I love that idea. <laughs> oh, man. Now when you guys visit, I'm going to have to prepare a continental ve- breakfast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, when we come in, in uh, December, I'm definitely going to do the continental breakfast thing. You know, I'm going to be obviously responsible for all the meals. Yes. Yeah, of course. Because <laughs> everyone else is okay with just it not happening. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I'm the only one that wants it to happen. So <laughs> right, <laughs> no, it's fine. I'll just not eat. If no one wants to put food in front of me, I won't eat. I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an East Bumble. <laughs> I want to start using that in in. Uh, substitute for saying like BFE. I don't absolutely. You know, I feel like East Bumble most... Brooklyn. <laughs> we're, we're, we're way out in East Bumble. <laughs> Just don't. <laughs> well, all right. Is is there anything else you want to add to this uh, this album? I, I mentioned that it was our second favorite. That that is interesting that they both have uh, Kurt and Courtney. Oh yeah, that's fun. That's a nice coincidence that I'm sure they're relishing in. Yeah, yeah. They uh definitely aren't as dramatic as those two were, you know. Oh no. <laughs> One killed Which... himself apparently, you know. Uh, apparently. I'll say apparently. Apparently. I think Dave Grohl might have had something to do with that. Dave Oh, that's that's new. That's that's <laughs> <laughs> you think Dave Grohl was involved in the conspiracy to kill Kurt Cobain? I yes. am on board for this 100%. Here's what I think what happened. Okay. Yeah, Kurt was depressed, right? Everyone knows that. Uh-huh. Right. And um he was in there and Dave Grohl came and he said, "Hey, listen man. I got something that's going to cheer you up." Uh, I wrote our next album <laughs> and he hands uh, Kurt 
what will become the first Foo Fighters album, and and Kurt blows his head off. So I I blame <laughs> Dave Grohl. <laughs> oh boy that's good that's good yeah that's what i think happened but he's like hey i i I am pro throwing in shots against the fruit fighters (laughs) at any at all times i salute you sir i'm glad you just came up with that just now Well, okay, well, uh, we'll give the final word to uh, Pace this week. On a lot of sea lice, Barnett and Vile stake a claim, a small claim, but leave plenty of room for growth. By skewing ambition in favor of intimacy, the album is both comfortable and comforting. While Barnett and Vile don't travel far from their established sounds in their collaboration, the sum of their contribution yields fresh results. It's easy to wish for further collaboration and even easier to envision. I think that does it for us this time. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Radio Cure Pod. Check out our website for links to the music and reviews featured in this episode. Email us at theradiocurepod at gmail.com. We're always looking for new bands to talk about. The links will be in the show notes. And finally, tell us how we're doing. Please rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Till next time, I've been Nathan Seal. With me was Jeremy Cohen. Thanks for listening to the Radio Cure. Bye. I don't know if we'll be able to use that read. I think I said Twitter instead of Twitter. Twitter Twitter. instead of Twitter? Yeah. Twitter. Like Twitchstagram. Twitter might be a thing. Or like. Twitter's definitely a thing. Twitter or Twitter? Have you been there? Twitter? Twitter? Twitter?